even though it feels fresh for every family, it can feel like torture and hell for every family. I promise you, and this is why I believe so much in systems when it comes to caregiving, that this story has existed before. These considerations, these decision points have all existed before. And yes, your family, every family is unique and there are going to be special items that need to be calculated, but the general framework is there. And the general framework doesn't just have to be something we think about in a crisis. We actually can think about it before a crisis happens, which can actually make families a lot healthier, happier, and honestly make caregivers feel a lot less guilt and shame. Welcome to All Things Menopausal. My name is Mary, and I'm a menopause doula. As a doula, we augment the healthcare profession as menopause support practitioners. I created this podcast, All Things Menopausal, to build community for women going through menopause transition and to foster resilience through the stories that connect, educate, and empower. These stories are real, raw, relatable, and they're very much relevant to the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual whole person that we are. In our midlife transition, we are not alone. Each week, you will hear from courageous, vulnerable, and knowledgeable guests sharing their passion, their journey, and lived experience. These are little clues to finding solutions to our unique situation. The menopause symptoms are personal, but the experience is universal. In the podcasting world, there's no telling who you're gonna meet. The people you run into, their expertise, their profession, their lived experience. It's incredible, the stories, the topics that you'll end up having and decide this is a person I really need to have on my podcast to share their journey. For my next guest, it's the journey of the caregiver. So many of us menopausal women find ourselves in that sandwich generation, playing that role of caring for our children and also caring for our ailing, aging parents. And the journey can be very confusing, very painful emotionally, mentally, even sometimes physically, because we feel like we have to give up so much of who we are and what we do, but it doesn't have to be that way. My next guest is Allison K. Wyman, and she is a family caregiving attorney, a consultant, and a coach. Allison helps caregivers reduce conflict and regret and save time and money and sanity. She herself is a two-time cancer caregiver to her parents and is now currently caregiving for her mother. Allison has spent nearly 20 years professionally and personally working in the caregiving space, which she considers to be among the greatest honors of her life. Allison is very astute but real when she states, the people we love only die once. There is no dress rehearsal, no do-over. Allison's mission is for every family to enter this eternal chapter from a position of strength, and she empowers her clients with a sense of peace instead of regret after the caregiving ends. To do so, Allison created a unique one-of-its-kind digital course, How Your Family Wins in Caregiving, which launches in January, that's this month, January 2024. And you can register for it using a unique URL that I have linked in my show notes. Allison is also the podcast host of Cozy Caregiver Cafe, which is streaming on Apple and Spotify. Okay, I'm sure you're just as excited as I am to get into this conversation. Morning, Allison. So happy to have you join me on this podcast. This is a very important topic to speak about. 
one that I've experienced firsthand. And that is the menopausal woman who has to care for both her aging parents and her own children, the sandwich generation, never easy. Stress of menopause alone is tough. You add on those extra elements and you're a recipe for disaster. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so grateful to be here, Mary, and really excited to dive into this conversation. Me too. First of all, let's start off with your background, your backstory, how you landed in where you are today with your many skills and what you're offering to your audience to help them navigate through this difficult time, the sandwich generation. That's so kind. Thank you, Mary. Well, I am a two-time cancer caregiver to my parents. And so that really is the way that I enter the world now. And Mm -hmm. I say that because as an adult, my dad was diagnosed and then died six months before my wedding to my husband. So really in my first step of adulthood, I mean, outside of maybe, you know, boating or driving, depending on what you consider really thinking about my first foray into being an adult, which was entering into marriage. My dad died six months before that. And that's when I was in my early twenties. And then my first job out of law school, I was able very thankfully to land my dream job at my dream firm. I was three weeks in a freshly minted attorney. And I received when I was at work, a phone call from my mom's doctor. She was not awake from anesthesia yet. And he called me directly and he said, your mom is sick. You need to come back here. And so three weeks into my job, I left and I went home and I cared for her because at that point she was a widow and I'm an only child. So I really enter the adult world as a caregiver. And I am really grateful that God has given me the gifts of being an attorney and being a consultant and a coach, as well as, you know, having the 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 interests in energy and Reiki and yoga um, meditation to help try to provide some source of information, support and hope to all family caregivers. Oh, wow. You have it all going on. Just the law degree alone, just navigating the legal aspects of caregiving and managing our parents' portfolio, their finances to their their will, et cetera. Even the signing off on the, we have it called made in Canada, medical assistance and dying, Mm. if that's ever becomes an option or the uh, do not resuscitate, I guess you would recall. So that legal aspect alone. But then you add to it this beautiful coaching program that you offer with all of your skills in the wholeness, the wellness, the spirituality. And I'd like to take a focus on that too, because this is probably most important when we're trying to ground ourselves amidst all the chaos, the mm-hmm. self-care. What do you provide for your audience when they're going through such a tumultuous time in their lives? Mm. Well, one, Mary, I so love talking to you because I can tell that I'm talking to somebody who has lived it. Like the the resonance that you bring is someone who has lived it or is living it. And that is one of the most beautiful things about caregiving. I say the best part of caregiving is community because so often we feel alone. But when, and I can even, I just feel emotional saying this, when you meet another fellow traveler on this caregiving path, it's Mm. almost like you instantly know them. Sure, there are elements and facts about their life that you don't know, and you can choose to get to know them or not. But there, I mean, the caregiving 
journey is unique to individuals and families, but also standard in so many ways because the human body is standard in so many ways and relationship dynamics although they can be varied are somewhat standard right and so yeah. that's one of the things that i love and so to to come back to your original question the first thing that i truly truly hope that i am offering and delivering to everybody that comes across the cozy caregiver cafe is a mindset shift and the mindset shift is love that i as this wife this mother this daughter this caregiver this employee this brother this sister whatever title it is i am not a supporting character in somebody else's story this isn't my dad's story where my dad needed care and now i as the supporting character am stepping in and providing that i as Allison or I as Mary am the main character in my own story. And there are all these things that are swirling around, but I am the main character here. This is my life. Wow. There's so much to unpack there. Oh my goodness. If I had had you 11 years ago and you're right, I do have the lived experience. You picked up on that very, astutely. I was in that situation, had moved here back to Vancouver Island on my husband's posting and we brought my mom out and we thought we're bringing her back to British Columbia where she loves this place, just being amongst the beautiful trees. And soon after she arrived, she was quickly diagnosed with many illnesses, multiple, multiple system failure. And it was a matter of months before she passed but that whole time settling into a new a new town again and getting my eight-year-old daughter at the time settled in her schooling and all the troubles that came with that trying to settle into a new school find new friends and then I was taking care of my mother and I removed myself from my story I stepped out of who I was as a woman in her young 40s and managing all of the changes in my life and stepped into my mother's story and thought that I could rewrite her story in a way that would bring her joy and peace. And everything went on hold. And to this day, still 11 years later, it still feels like it was unfinished business. It was sloppy. Oh, gosh, Mary, yeah, I feel that. I have so... tears in my eyes. I feel that so deeply. And, and the thing, Mary, is if I can use just generally your family dynamics, the thing mm -hmm. is, is that if you are a supporting player, say in your mom's story, and then you also want to be there for your daughter and your husband, but you mm -hmm. aren't the main character, what ends up happening is it's like you are in three different books, right? You're in your mom's book and you're in your daughter's book and in your, you're in your husband's book. And so you or anybody, because I think what you're saying, everybody can relate to. I absolutely can relate to. It's like we have to be somehow these fairy ninjas that are just jumping in between the pages of all these different books. Trying, And we're like, how? Because if I'm in my daughter's book right now, I can't be in my husband's book and I can't be in my mom's book. And like all of these pages are just going by, which are the stories of our, you know, of these people that we love. And we're literally just trying to weave it all together. And that can't work. And so what I say is, if the caregiver 
is the center and not just the center of responsibility because we know that feeling and not just the center of doing everything because we know that feeling, but the center story, then it actually does work that you marry can be merry in your story, but you're not just going from book to book to book, always feeling like you are in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And exhausted in the transition yeah. and switching hats very quickly. So what are some of the strategies then that you, you will give the women that with the challenges that they commonly face? And I say women, because of course, this is my audience, but this is applicable to any caregiver. What are some of the strategies that you can share with the audience of what to do to make sure that you are that center character to manage all the pieces of caregiving? So I would say that there are there are sort of big planning continents, which we can talk about, and then there are small planning cities. And I think sometimes it's easier to start with a city, like something smaller, because it feels manageable, right? And so the first thing that I want every single person to do, and I sincerely mean every single person, because as you know, and the you know, nobody says it better than the former first lady, Rosalind Carter, the idea that we all either have been caregivers, will be caregivers, are caregivers, or will need caregivers. Like there are wow. only four types of people in this world. I mean, she she really, truly was a champion for family caregivers and her legacy continues on after her death. Beautiful. And, but, but that's true. So this really applies to everybody. I want every single person to create what's called a board of advisors. And these are two to three people from different parts of your life that you really trust, you respect, and you know have your best interest at heart. And the caveat here is your board of advisors should not at this point include your partner or your spouse. And that doesn't mean don't talk to your partner or spouse when things come up. But I think it's really important to have a board that is disinterested, if we're going to go with the corporate analogy, in every other way other than just your well-being. Uh-huh. When you have someone like your spouse who's on this board, of course, they love you and they care about you, but they're also thinking about a child you may have together or the mortgage that you guys share. Like there are all these sort of competing interests. And I think it's honestly just really unfair to ask a spouse to play that role when they're also wearing all these different hats and probably taking on a larger, you know, shouldering maybe more if if you're stepping if someone's stepping off to care give. So it's three people on your board, two to three people on your board of advisors, and then you reach out to them. You don't reach out to them when some crisis happens. You do this before. You do this today. And you say, hi, I know this is going to sound weird, but I listened to this beautiful podcast hosted by Mary. And here's what I learned. I learned that I really want to be prepared for caregiving. And there are a myriad of ways I can do this. But the one thing that is most important is that I have the right community around me to help me make clear-headed decisions when a crisis occurs. Uh You are someone I love. You are somebody I respect. Would you be on my board of advisors? And what this means is that when something happens, a crisis in my family that involves caregiving, I will reach out to you. I will lean on you in that moment to help me make clear-headed decisions and to think through things logically. And then 
we can talk about it in terms of frequency, but I'd ask that you check up on me either through a phone call or email or text twice a month or once every week. This is where you choose your frequency. So I think it's really important whenever you're asking somebody to do something that you be very clear about the parameters. The board of advisors is not someone you're asking to solve your problems. You're not asking them to swoop in and provide the angel funding for, you know, your family's medical issues. You're not asking them to check on you every single day. You're literally just saying, aside from the people in my life who are going to be there on a daily basis, I also need people that I can say, things are a mess. Can you help me sort them out in my head? Because if I have them right in my head and I have them right in my heart, I know I can figure this out. I can make it through. So I want every single person to have a board of advisors. And Mary, I can tell you that I've gone through two caregiving stints without this, which is why I found it so important. I went through my husband's deployment without this. And I wish that I'd had it. But then when I was going through fertility treatments. We went through five years of infertility and finally IVF before we had our son. When we, I was going through fertility treatments, particularly the immediate postpartum stage because right. our son was born in the pandemic. And at that point there was, and there still is um, a lot, a lot of anti-Asian hate and sentiment. And I just, okay. I didn't know how I would be feeling postpartum. I reached out to my board and I said, will you check in on me on certain days? for three weeks. So I I called in my seven angels. I said, seven people are incredibly important to me. I love and I respect you. After we come home from the hospital, will you check on me once a week on your day for three weeks just to make sure that I'm doing okay? Because if I'm not, I'm going to need somebody to be opening a door for me every single day that I can walk through if I need help. Wow. That is such an incredible piece of advice my goodness and again if I had had that I think it would have been a different outcome a different story to tell but alas we go through these experiences for a reason for a purpose to learn to grow that's why I leaned into you when I saw what you have to offer as the cozy caregiver and we'll get back to that shortly it resonated so well with me and I know that uh, having well heard firsthand other women telling me that are in the throes of perimenopause and just arms up in the air. I've got to take care of my aging father or mother. They're not well. My kids are going off to college or they're still in high school, right? That That's that balance. The board of advisors, such sage advice. Wow. We will put lots of emphasis on that. Thank you. <laughs> now, did you get that idea from being a lawyer from your skill sets in corporate law? How did that you come know, about? I mean, I, I think that I relate to it. So when I did start out as a lawyer, I was doing, I was doing white collar work. I was also doing transactional work. And so I, I was able, thankfully, to touch that world and to learn a lot about it. But what I realized is that, and I kn- I know that the world is filled with so many beautiful entrepreneurs. Being a caregiver is an entrepreneurial endeavor. And I think Mm -hmm. that if we thought about it that way, so if we say like, oh, caregiving is a job, 
people bristle, right? Because they're like, oh, no, I don't want to think about it as a job. But if we just think about it as a familial responsibility or duty, then I think that we're really underestimating, undervaluing, and underrepresenting what it means to be a caregiver and the way that caregivers should be valued and compensated and given leeway to do their caregiving. And so I like to sort of think about it in the middle. It's an entrepreneurial endeavor. The moment a health crisis hits, you are in a startup. And this is a caregiving startup. And so let's talk about what a startup needs to succeed. And what I think is so great is that the startup world has a lot of frameworks, right, that we can borrow from. I also learned, Mary, a lot about the structure of what it means to have support in times of crisis through the military. So we were a military family for 10 years. My husband graduated from West Point, and it's still very a present part of the work that we do, even though we are no longer an active part of the military. And the levels of support that exist for people is incredible. And that just doesn't exist for caregivers in the same way. And it's it's no one's fault. So I'm not trying to call anybody or anything out, but I'm just saying, wouldn't it be great if that could exist too? And that's really what the Cozy Caregiver Cafe does. I mean, yes, we talk about caregiving. We provide tips on elder care and elder law. We just started um, a Tech Tip Tuesday because technology continues to be the bane of so many, like mm-hmm. you know, of people's existence, I and it also that. can be um, yeah. the entryway for a lot of financial fraud. And so, like, I just, yeah. you know, I want to start shining a light on that because elder financial fraud continues to be a huge issue. And it's one, it, it's one of the few things, Mary, that actually truly makes me angry. It makes me oh. angry when, when these things happen. With that said, it also, the, the idea of the Cozy Caregiver Cafe is it's a place for caregivers, but it's a place where they also can come and talk about their life. So what we're rolling out in 2024 are going to be concepts, issues, and ideas around family history and legacy. We're going to be talking about self-care. We're going to be going on adventures in New York City together, which is where I live. And it's just the absolute most glorious city that I could ever imagine. And Mm -hmm. so I want to create the feelings of your favorite and best cafe. And I want to have a lot of content and have people feel like they can come into the cafe and talk about their life and not just caregiving. But I also want it to be a place of information and planning, a place to go for help and seek comfort when it comes to caregiving. So I know it might seem like a pretty broad mission, but I feel like as humans, we're complex. As caregivers, we are so heart-centered. Like, let's try to create a place, right, that that meets us as humans and all the extraordinary things that we're doing. Beautiful. And this cafe is not a physical cafe. It's, 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 a, it's, it's in the virtual, virtual space. <laughs> but that the idea, hopefully, yeah. Mary, is that you being where you are and me being in New York City, that right. we can we can hold that coziness in our hearts, right? Like it, we get to take it with us wherever we go. I mean, when my dad died, we cremated him and he wanted to be spread he wanted his ashes spread by the Isles of Shoals. So that's what we did. And so I love now that he's, he's in the ocean because he's in water, which means he's all around me all the time. And so I love that feeling of my dad being with me all the time when it rains, when it snows, when I'm having something to drink, like all the time he's with me. With that said, what if we could also bring this coziness of a cafe feeling to people? Because Mary, as you know, because you've lived it, like, the caregivers are the hearth of the family. And 
I, all I want to do is be able to truly light up and support that hearth. And so that's why it's not physical, but I'm hoping that it can be a physical feeling that people have in their bodies. Awesome. My goodness. Again, where were you 11 years ago? <laughs> Yeah, I was care. I was I was a caregiver too, Mary. Yeah, so caregiver I was, too. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about a little bit now those episodes where they get they're not so beautiful and comforting. Mm -hmm. And and I'm thinking in particular when the parents' wishes for their health care are not necessarily going to be safe or effective or appropriate to their situation. And there is there's this tension. Mm -hmm whereby you find that you have to put your foot down as a caregiver. But there's that part of you that says, but I'm still my mother's child. I'm still my mm -hmm. father's child. And now the, re the roles are reversed. What, what piece of advice could you give in that situation where that firm decision-making of clear mind, it has to trump whatever their, their wishes are, because it, it may just not be in their favor. And I'm thinking, for example, when they want uh, to go into palliative care, but there's no say beds available in palliative care and you can provide in-care resources, but they're resisting. And this is more mm. personal, my situation, yes. but nevertheless yeah. probably can resonate with many of the listeners. Mm -hmm. so what are some of the things, the advice, both from a, mm. you know, a decision standpoint, but maybe for also that taking care of that emotional and spiritual side of the caregiver? Absolutely. Well, I would answer this in two ways. So ideally, right, and this is probably where not many people are, and that's okay, but I always want to move these tension points upstream, right? And so ideally, ideally, what would happen is these conversations would be held before a crisis occurs, right? Like when people are still healthy, when they're in their sound mm -hmm. mind. So ideally, ideally that's what happens. Now, if you're listening and you are already past that point, do not feel shame, do not feel guilt. It happens, life happens. I just, I say that because whenever I, I, I work a lot with families who are in crisis points, and of course we can address that, which, which I'll, I'll talk a little bit about. But they always ask me in one way or another, like, how did we get here? Like, how is this happening? And so, you know, I can't not think about ways to make family <laughs> caregiving startups better. And so the way you do that is you have the confidence and the courage to hold these conversations early. And so that's something we can talk about a little bit later. But if you're in it, if you're, you know, waist deep in these decisions, I think that there are three big factors that come into play. And so I really, I think what oftentimes happens and I'm, I'm the same way. So I, I say this with all love and I say this with all love is that we say as an individual end up making a decision and it filters right through our body and through our, our logical mind and through our hearts and through our energy, we fill them. And then it comes, we come out with one conclusion, right? Like it's like, boop, and it's like a, a one conclusion pops out after we've, it, it's been a mess inside of sort of our body as we were thinking through it. And so then what happens is we feel like we have to, like, there's this one decision that pops out that because it popped out of us, we have to live with it. And I think what's actually better is to say, instead of just this one decision that happens, 
What if we established, even in a crisis, a framework for how to assess things? Because if it's a framework and we say, here are the most important pieces of the puzzle, like let's now objectively, not emotionally, not out of guilt, not out of shame, not out Mm. of fear, let's objectively agree that these are going to be the things that we have to assess, right? And then from that, we can make a decision. It's no longer a decision, Mary, that's popping out of me, something that I have to live with, that I have to own. I have to own that guilt and shame. It's like, Here is a family decision based upon the collective, most important objective pieces of information that we then can assess clear headedly, you know, with a clear head. And from that, the right decision will emerge. It removes the decision sort of from us, which I think is really important because we still get to use our brains and our hearts to enter data into the the ultimate framework which will help us make the decision but it's not that we are like okay i like nope i've thought about this i completely own this i'm going to be the one that has to do this like mm-hmm. that's really really hard place to live so the framework i would say is physical safety and the physical health of the individual that you're caring for what is it what is it that they need what is it that can be provided in whatever sort of facility location residence you're thinking of And are they at harm's risk? You also have the financial realities. Is there enough money somewhere without bankrupting the caregiver's family? And this is something I'm really passionate about. And it's, I'd love, Mary, if we can circle back to finances after this, because it's something that I'm truly very passionate about. Is Is there something like, what is the financial part of this framework? And then what is the emotional and physical capacity of the caregivers? What is that framework? So here, when you're thinking about moving somebody into a place, it's not like, okay, Allison, you have to decide whether your mom, who's been a beautiful and wonderful mom to you, goes into a nursing home or not. Like, no, that that that's not the decision. It's okay, we are nearing this part or we are in this phase. How? Here's the framework. I, we are going to make a decision as a family and here are the things that we're going to think about. And of course, then I always have a bucket for like the miscellaneous because you want to catch all bucket. But it's like, what is the physical, what are the physical safety needs and abilities of whatever place my mom might go to? What are the financial realities of the amount of money that my mom has or the amount of money me and my husband could support? Like, how are we going to pay for whatever it is that's going to happen? And then what is my emotional capabilities and capacities and my um, physical time as a person who works as a lawyer, as a mama, as a wife, like as a long distance caregiver, you put that in. You put that in and you plug that in and it becomes very clear, for instance, in this scenario, just what I told you about. If I am a mama to a young child and we live in New York City and my mom just say she gets to the point where she cannot live alone, like it becomes clear that she like either somebody needs to move somewhere, (laughs) New York City or New Hampshire, or she needs to go to a third place that can take care of her and ensure she's safe. And then it's like, okay, well, what finances do we have that would allow this to happen? 
right? And so, so again, I, I think that having a framework of thinking, it's not all of a sudden like, oh, there's one part of me that says, she's a great mom, you could never put her into a nursing home. And then there's this other part of me that's like, but you live far away. And then, uh, you know, it's a great duel in, in ourselves that's tugging, that's a tug of war. I, I like that it's not that. It's like, here's the framework, because even though it feels fresh for every family, it can feel like torture and hell for every family. I promise you, and this is why I believe so much in systems when it comes to caregiving, that this story has existed before. These considerations, these decision points have all existed before. And yes, your family, every family is unique, and there are going to be special items that need to be calculated, but the general framework is there. And the general framework doesn't just have to be something we think about in a crisis. We actually can think about it before a crisis happens, which can actually make families a lot healthier, happier, and honestly make caregivers feel a lot less guilt and shame. Yes. You're right. The story has been played out before. It's coming. So now tell me then, all these systems, the structure that you talked about, this framework, is this what's in your master class? And let's let our listeners <laughs> oh, learn a little so bit kind. about it. Thank you. It, it, it is, Mary. Okay. And I, I love that you said we know it's coming because we do. It's like, so we can either be in the dark and not mm. know that this is going to happen, or we can be in the light and recognize this is a reality. I really love that you're bringing your listeners into the light and maybe they already were there, but you're reinforcing this idea of like, this is going to happen or this is happening, like full stop. So here's the thing, Mary. If we live in the light and we say this is happening, the thing that was frustrating me, and it was frustrating me for years, was that we know that there's this eventuality and we know the bad things it brings. Like we know what we're going to lose. We're going to end up losing our family member if it's aging, just because it's natural, right? That the, a human body lives and dies. We're go, we know that person through the aging process is most likely going to lose certain faculties because of the aging process is going to lose um, control of certain like really important components of their life. Like we know the loss. We know the loss is coming. I can't live like that, Mary. I can't live just saying, we're going to be, I, here, here I am, and then all of a sudden something's going to happen, and then I'm, our family is just going to lose, 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 lose. So what I did was I've created, I believe it's a first-of-its-kind digital course. I haven't found anything else like it, and it's called How Your Family Wins in Caregiving. Oh, love and that. what it does is it takes the six substantive modules. And it takes the five main pillars of all caregiving, five main pillars of all caregiving. And it breaks those pillars down into digestible and easy to understand information, guides and steps. So basically, what I do as a lawyer is I provide the legal skeleton, if you will, for each of these five pillars in caregiving. And the law, some of it is federal law, some of it, you know, a lot of caregiving and health insurance and healthcare laws, a lot of those are state related. So I can't necessarily advise, plus I'm only barred in New York and New Hampshire and DC, I can't advise on a specific state's law. But the thing, Mary, that I can do, and the thing that all resourceful people and all caregivers do, is they don't have to know the answers. They just need to know what questions to ask. 
right? And so when you break down these caregiving pillars into the legal skeleton, then people can understand what questions it is they need to ask in a given situation. Right. So I provide that legal education component and the and then I provide practical guidance on how you hold certain conversations that you need to have with your family members and your loved ones, as well as the actual scripted questions. And these are all parts of worksheets that you need to ask to set your family up for success in that caregiving pillar. In addition to that, for each pillar, and so because we talked about it, we'll just take health as an example of a pillar. So in each pillar, what I've also found is that if you're going to talk to somebody about who they want their agent as a, you know, under a healthcare proxy to be, or who they want to be making these decisions for them if they're no longer able to make these decisions and what they care about in terms of things like organ donation, you know, like these really important conversations, but are also dark or they can be dark. I found that people are more receptive to having these meaningful conversations and being open to them, if you also give them a chance in that same period to talk about the best parts of their life. If you ask them questions that allow them to relive certain elements of their life that were so joyous and so wonderful, once people feel like they their story has been heard about the best parts, they're willing to talk about the not so good parts too. They just are. And so the idea, for instance, within the health pillar is you have people will have an understanding of the health legal skeleton as it relates to things like health insurance, for instance, and agents under a healthcare proxy. Then you have the critical questions, and these are not so fun questions, to be honest, that you have to ask your family member, but it's not just those questions. You also have built in the really great questions that you can ask too. And I I do center them around health for this pillar. And so then the idea is that you have questions or the start of these conversations conversations you can have, which actually end up being really meaningful because you're learning about the person that you're likely going to be caring for. And that's meaningful not only to them, but also to you because family stories, whether we like it or not, are a part of who we are and will continue Mm -hmm. to be a part of who we are. And then we're able to get the information that we need. And then lastly, for each pillar, using health as an example, there is a I call it the compass. There's a personal assessment component. So I really never, never, never want family caregivers to go beyond the boundaries where they truly feel comfortable when it comes to physical, their physical body, their emotional body, and their financial body. And so what ends up happening though, is we do that all the time. We don't have boundaries as caregivers. And I say that having had zero boundaries when I was caregiving. Um, And so if we can think about those things beforehand, if we can truly have these discussions with our family members, and then we can have a true, like a true foundational level set with ourselves, our family is going to be set up for the health pillar. That doesn't mean that everything's going to go perfectly. Of course not. But what it means is that when that health pillar comes, guess what? We're going to know the information we need to know, which is going to allow us to make the best informed decisions possible. If not, we're going to know the questions to ask and we're going to know who we need to ask them to. And then when things happen, like we don't feel regret and we don't feel guilt and we don't feel shame because we've done all we could to make this the best possible experience. 
incredible what you've structured here. I can't think of a person on this planet who cannot benefit from what oh, you have that's designed. So kind. Thank you, Mary. But, but really, like speaking from a point of view where I I was lost and didn't have any of these resources, and I know I'm not alone in this situation because we have carried onward ten years, over a decade later, some of the regret, some of the guilt, and some of that shame. And there's this mm. heaviness that comes in my heart. Mm. Have you just done it better? Mm -hmm. But again, I'm a true believer that we go through these experiences for a reason. And this is pulling on my heartstrings so much. I felt called. I, I couldn't get it right, but I can get it right for somebody else. And I felt called to bring you on to tell the mm. story. This is so vital, Allison. So vital. You have no idea. I just want to break out into tears or run to oh. New York City and give you a big hug. <laughs> Me too, Mary. And I, I, if, if I can say, I love how you vulnerably shared you felt lost. I felt lost too. And mm -hmm. the way then I've structured this course is the legal education skeleton. I call that the map. So it's the terrestrial map. And then the questions you need to ask, as well as the family stories and the legacy. I call that celestial navigation, right? Because oh. when it's too dark to tra traverse through the map, you're going to look to the stars. And then, of course, you have the compass. And the compass is your own self-assessment. So I don't want people, Mary, to have as much a caregiving plan as to have their caregiving map. Plans fall apart when things change. It's like, I'm going to go A to B to C, and then B disappears. What do you do? I want people to completely understand the terrain. And by that, I mean the land and the stars and their internal compass. And then they're like, put me down. Whenever God, whenever universe, something happens, you are going to drop me in water. I will be able to swim my way to land and I will know where I am. I will be able to like put myself in a place where I understand my surroundings. I, I recognize that tree. I recognize that landmark. I know wh who I need to ask, where I need to go. I will be ready. I will be the leader that my family needs in that moment. Beautiful. As we say in the military, you'll appreciate this with the military family background with your husband is time spent on recce is time seldom wasted. <laughs> and this yep. is it. This is the mm -hmm. preparation and planning in the military. When we went through basic training, we had all these critical requirements, CRs and preparation planning was CR seven. Sergeant Major would always say CR7 above the line if you did a good job in planning. And this is true. This is this is our, our CR7 right here, that celestial map, if you will. I appreciate that you bring that, that element into it, that spiritual wholeness into it. And that's really quite important. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you have the background, as you mentioned, with your Reiki. Do you weave that in as part of your class? I do. I weave that in. I am quite woo, as some people would say. I mean, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm a Reiki healer. I meditate daily. I, I believe in so many different practices. But when it comes to caregiving, I love, and I don't always lead with it because I sometimes think that people could be skeptical about this, but there are just inherent parts of who we are as individuals that will lead us into certain blind spots when we're caregivers yes. that will also lead us down certain well-trodden paths because nothing is nothing is new really you know and so I I do weave that in and the, the other thing Mary that I wanted to share I, I hope this is okay Absolutely. is that so I 
I am almost too much in terms of joy and happiness for people. I feel grateful that it's just my natural baseline. It is who I am. It is how I've always been. I believe everything happens for a reason. I have a, you know, a deep faith now. And I, I just, it's who I am. And with that said, after my mom's caregiving stint, so when I was a former caregiver, which is a term I use for people who are no longer caregiving, I was so just exhausted, spent, depleted, and deeply depressed that I had suicidal ideations. I just like, I couldn't, I didn't know how to be here anymore and how to be me. And so the reason, and I'm very thankful that, you know, I was able to move out of that. But the reason why I do this, Mary, is not just because this is a job, you know, or just because like, oh, I see an opportunity in the market. I do this because I was that person. I've been that person twice and I'm going to be that person again. And every single one of you who either are caregivers or will be a caregiver, like you're my brother and my sister, we're family and I don't want you to go through this. And so I do this because I truly believe planning having important conversations, especially when when those conversations can be productive, feeling confident enough to have the courage then to hold these conversations, having a good understanding of yourself, having frameworks that leave you feeling no guilt or shame, but are just like the practical and important way to look at that. Like all of this my whole mission is not only to help people in caregiving, my, my true mission is to help the former caregiver. Like after that person dies or after that person no longer needs your care and you are just suddenly thrust back into your own life, except your life doesn't seem relevant or familiar to you anymore because you've changed and things have changed. Like I want that former caregiver to be able to be themselves, to live with themselves, to have what it takes to rest and to have what it takes to, to rebuild. And so this, all of this, my huge digital course, which is a big planning course on how your family wins in caregiving, my frameworks, my board of advisors, like the legal work I do in wills, trusts, and estates, it is literally all so that as a former caregiver, you can look back over your shoulder and be like, yeah, that was a lot. I did the absolute best that I could. I'm proud of who I am. I love who I am and I'm ready to move forward. Beautiful. We can't walk in these shoes without the lived experience, right? As we well know it, we recognize the pain points of our audience. And then we say, I, I've lived it. I know your pain points. I know the transformation you're looking for. And this is what I have found in my personal experience to help you make that transformation. And in this case, it's transformation into stepping into our whole complete self, the best we can as a caregiver, you know, I've said it before, I'll say it a million times again, our mess is our message mm. and clearly lived experience. And we often fall to our knees asking God, source or universe, however, you may recognize it. Why? Why? But in the fullness of time, we understand why and we appreciate, and we grow. Mm -hmm. And I am so grateful that for, for you to have grown and shared all of this and, and to be so vulnerable too on the podcast, mm -hmm. I totally recognize and resonate when you say you went to that dark place. I have gone to that dark place. There's often times where I feel in that dark place. My mother's spirit is coming back, just waving her finger at me saying, why, why did we do it this way? Why? But I can't let myself go there. I allow myself to actually find some, some joy, 
knowing that there, there is a purpose and there's a reason. And, and I think that I found it by sharing, having you share oh, your story. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh gosh. There's so much to that, Mary. I just want to like honor well, that you just shared that. Thank you. Mm, Thank you. Likewise. Now uh, back to the framework part. Let's get back to be more structured. <laughs> Although I could talk woo forever. I love woo. <laughs> But there is a framework and we, you know, a good CEO will have a framework for their enterprise, as Mm -hmm. you said, a good uh, organization, a business plan. It's all about a framework. And there's that financial piece to that framework that you spoke of earlier. Mm -hmm. So I do want to circle back on that Mm -hmm. because it is so critical, particularly in a time where here in Canada, we think that we might be on the cusp of a recession, um, Mm -hmm. something that the United States has been through before. Um, Finances are tough all around for, for many people coming out of mm-hmm. COVID and then just what mm-hmm. we're seeing in the world today. So the financial piece is so critical, probably more so than ever, maybe. Tell us about that. Tell us why that's so, mm. so important. Get that right. Well, one, thank you for circling back. And two, I'm I'm just, I'm going to say something that's bold and people people may not like it, but I for the people that need to hear it, I need to say it, which is do not put your family in financial risk for caregiving for somebody else. Do not put your family in financial risk in caregiving for somebody else. I don't want anybody to do that. And that's what we see all the time, Mary. You can tell my passion here. We see people who are reducing their hours. They're leaving their jobs. They're not paying into retirement accounts or they're losing benefits. They're not only losing income, but they're picking up certain on certain medical expenses, right? Like they are paying things like co-pays and co-insurance. They're paying the, the co-pay at the pharmacy because they're picking up medications and they feel weird asking for cash or a credit card. Like they're, they're doing these things and little by little, it can, it's really, really, really starts to add up. And then it has a snowball effect because once you started, it's really hard to stop. And so this is an example where I want everybody to have the financial future that they want. With that said, I also want people to be able to be the caregivers they need to be. And when those things come into conflict, when they come into conflict, that's when we need to have already in place a financial plan that allows the caregiver to understand what is it that I can spend like how much how much is it in a month say on a monthly basis given our current income stream that i can actually spend on caregiving outside of nor- our normal daily living that won't put my family in jeopardy like if we're not asking ourselves those questions and we're not asking ourselves those questions not only in a crisis or in a caregiving situation but beforehand we are not setting our families up for the optimal amounts of success because if a caregiving situation happens and in you as the caregiving hero step in and then say that person dies or that person is better and then you're left and you are financially depleted and broken. Like 
that is not a win for your family. No, not at you, all. you have done the hard thing. And I do not mean, and this is what I mean. I do not mean any disrespect. I have so much love. I've done this. Like I'm happy to share numbers. Like I have done this in my life. And so that's why I'm so passionate about this. That is not truly winning because when it comes to caregiving and I get emotional when I say this, it is not it is not a finite pie. It is an infinite pie, which means, Mary, you can win and your husband can win and your daughter can win and your mom mm. can win. It doesn't have to be just that my mom wins in my life, but I lose and I lose financially. Right. It, it doesn't have to be that way. So I, I shared I was three weeks into my new job. I, I literally, Mary, just I didn't have a board of advisors. I didn't have someone that I could talk to that could help me reason through this. I just left. I left my job. And at that point, and I think it's really important to talk numbers at that point, the salaries are much higher now. But I was at a big law firm. So this was 2012. And at that point, starting salary was $160,000 a year. And then you'd have something like a bonus, which was say, again, they're higher now, but say like $20,000. So I literally, without even thinking about it, Mary, left $180,000 on the table. Oh, I never even gave it a glance. And $180,000 when somebody is starting out in their careers it means a lot, especially if you have the right investments or with compound interest. It means a tremendous yeah. amount. So if you're feeling feelings right now from what I'm saying, I, I'm sharing this my hum, this humility because I don't want you to be making t the same mistakes that I made. I will never make that mistake again. But I didn't have a framework. I didn't have a board. I didn't have the thing that you can have, the, the, that you can, someone might hook you for a second and be like, wait, let's think. Just pause. Everything's okay. Let's just think on this. And it's really hard for a spouse to do that because a spouse is having so many different hats. Mary, I have truly, I feel like the most terrific and tremendous husband I could ever ask for. And mm. he has, he's been with me through all of this. But with that said, I think I asked things of him. I asked him to wear so many hats that it was unfair. It was unfair to him. He's, he's never said this. This is coming from me. But it was unfair that I asked him to to sort of try to be so many things. And that's why I really believe in having an objective board of advisors, which means not your spouse, that can help you think through this. And if you have a plan and you say, I have a mortgage, which we did. We had just bought a, our first, a, a first home on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. If you have a mortgage and you're all of a sudden not going to be working, like you need to have a plan. Don't be Allison. Don't be me, you know, as a new lawyer that gets carried up in the emotion of it and doesn't think through. Now, am I really glad that I went back and I was with my mom? Of course. I mean, am I so thankful she's alive? Of course. Is there a way that my frameworks that I am talking about and sharing now would have led me to that same conclusion? Quite possibly. But I should have put more thought into it, Mary. I should have. It should not have just been, I will go home. I will, quote unquote, be there and save the day. And like my financial future is is just that. It just can't be that. It can't be that for people. I think that financial sacrifice and the other sacrifices that you had made at that moment is paying back tenfold because you've built this amazing structure now for other people to learn and the universe is rewarding you for it. I, I truly believe that that is some of my um, guiding principles get me through life is that there's always a purpose for 
some of those most painful situations that I've said oh, it before already so in kind. our talk. I know full heartedly that what you have built is, is going to bring back so much joy, not just for you, but so many lives that you're going to take out of the, the, the tumultuous situation of trying to navigate it alone. So we'll get that in the show notes where they can find you and your course frameworks. You know, there's so much parallelism here in having a, a framework, just going into menopause alone. We know it's mm. going to come <laughs> undeniably. If you're alive to hit this stage in your life, mm-hmm. you will go through it. So prepare for it. And that also means the workplace. I'm a true believer that we should have more systems and structures in place to support the menopausal experience. Mm-hmm. Women are at the height of their careers when they enter into menopause on top of potentially being a caregiver in the sandwich generation. And we want to just throw in a hat, give it up, say, oh, it's too much. I'm just walking away from it. And we do not have to do that. We shouldn't have to make those choices. We need systems that are there to support us. And so the system that you have structured is most definitely one of, of support for many people. Mm, well, thank you. I, I love being here. I, you have such a wonderful, calming energy. I, I love being here you. with you, Mary. Oh, thank you. One question I do like to ask all my guests, because it says a little bit of something about the individual, plus I love to share, and that is a book. What is one of your favorite reads, or perhaps it's just something that you're reading right now that you feel our listeners can really benefit from? So my favorite book is a book called Lost Horizon by James Hilton. Okay. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It was written in the late 1930s or early 1940s. And it actually introduced, if I understand correctly, the concept of Shangri-La, the idea that there is this idyllic world in space somewhere. And the plot of the book is that there are these travelers on an airplane who end up crashing into this area and they find their way to Shangri-La and they, they, they're sort of no longer in the real world. They are in this really beautiful idyllic place. And I don't want to spoil too much of the story. It's a, it's a short read. It's a beautiful story. But now that I'm thinking about it, I think that I really want the Cozy Caregiver Cafe, which again is not a tangible place, to be that Shangri-La for people. Well, apropos, beautiful. I'll share that book in the show notes. I just love that little message. Again, something we come across in our path that weaves itself beautifully organically into what we're, we're living right now, today, and sharing with the world. And you've shared so much. I mean, professional level to a really personal level, being vulnerable, being authentic. By the way, your enthusiasm, 100% love the yellow glasses for the tech talks. <laughs> love that. I was just giggling myself silly. As I, oh, Allison, there she is. I love it. I love it. I love it. Do not stop being you because people need that in when it's oh. a challenging time. They need that energy. So I'm so grateful that you've, you're willing to share it, that you've risen out of the ashes of that darkness, like a phoenix and are sharing this joy now. Thank you, Mary. Whoa, that was a lot. I'm feeling it. I feel a heaviness, but I also feel a sense of peace. Like I've done my part, even though it was messy for me when I went through caregiving, I've 
still fulfilled my role in sharing what can be done to improve the experience for others. And so if you find yourself soon in this caregiving role or are in it already, take heart and take note. Here are my key takeaways. Number one, caregivers can feel overwhelmed without proper support and planning. They often sacrifice their physical, emotional, and financial well-being. Don't do that. Number two, have a board of advisors for support. People who the caregiver can trust and respect, not a family member, and ideally removed from the emotional situation of the family. Number three, establishing a framework system for decision-making can help caregivers manage effectively. This framework should consider the physical safety and health of the individual being cared for, the financial realities and implications of the caregiving, and the emotional and physical capacity of the caregiver. Number four, planning for caregiving beforehand can help prevent feelings of guilt, regret, and shame. This can include understanding what conversations need to happen, what questions need to be asked, and making a financial plan. Number five, a holistic approach to caregiving that includes the caregiver's emotional and physical needs can make the process easier. This may include practices such as self-care, meditation, and energy healing. Number six, financial aspects of caregiving are particularly important to consider. Caregivers should avoid risking their own financial well-being and establish a clear plan for how much they can reasonably spend on caregiving. Number seven, information about legal aspects related to caregiving can equip caregivers with the right questions to ask and help them navigate challenges more effectively. And number eight, after caregiving ends, caregivers should be able to look back without regret, feeling that they did their best and were able to maintain their sense of self. Number nine, caregiving planning and preparation can be seen as a long-term investment for a smooth caregiving process. The objective is to keep the caregiver's needs and well-being in focus while ensuring the best possible care for their loved one. And number 10, I recommend reading the book Lost Horizon by James Hilton. It introduces a concept of the Shangri-La mentioned as the favorite read of Allison during our conversation and is a metaphor for the ideal caregiving situation. Thanks for joining me on All Things Menopausal. This is Mary Lee. Tune in for next week. We'll have another exciting topic of real, raw, and relatable stories related to the menopausal journey. Do you need support through your menopause transition? And Menopause Doula can help. You can find me at mlcoaching.com and help me help you by filling out a simple survey, which is linked in the show notes. Your input is greatly valued and will help in the design and creation of tools, courses, and other resources for my upcoming one-on-one and group coaching programs. Take the survey. It's linked in the show notes. Like, follow, share, subscribe. And if you are enjoying this podcast, I would love to hear from you. Consider leaving a review spreading the word will help broaden my audience reach and further impact more women as they experience the transition. 